Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my finest friends. Welcome to episode two of season seven of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. If you're listening to this episode on the day of its release, I'll probably still be in Iqaluit, which is the only city in the territory of Nunavut, just south of the Arctic Circle in Canada. Uh, Nunavut covers 1.9 million square kilometers and has a population of around 36,000. Um, my job's afforded me a few cool trips um, in the over the years, so Brussels, Berlin, Utrecht in the Netherlands, and New York City. Uh, but as soon as this opportunity to travel to Baffin Island came up, I had my fingers crossed that it would turn out. To go and see a completely different culture in my own country is so exciting. So hopefully on next week's episode, when I'll be in Ottawa again for work, I'll hopefully be able to tell you all about it, and even share a photo of a polar bear or two, perhaps. Today's episode covers the second track from Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, the synth-heavy Runaway Trains. After passing on what would become Boys of Summer, the huge hit for Don Henley, during the Southern Accents sessions, Tom was clearly ready to try to use a less typical Heartbreakers groove brought to him by Mike Campbell. One of five co-writes on the album, uh, this song shares a definite mood with Boys of Summer, with its minor key verse and major key chorus, and of course a healthy dose of 80s synth. As with Boys of Summer, we can probably safely assume that Mike had the whole song demoed and brought it to Tom, probably almost fully formed, just missing the lyrics. I'd also make an assumption that it was mainly written on the keyboard, as F-sharp definitely isn't a natural key for any guitarist to write in. In conversations with Tom Petty, Paul Zolo says to Tom, I know you've said it's not one of your favourites, but it's a great song. To which Tom replies, I heard that on the radio not long ago, and it, it is good. I was pleasantly surprised. Somehow I got it into my head that I didn't like it, but I did like it when I heard it. I mistakenly said last week that this was the second single released from the album, which was based on Wikipedia. More fool me for not fact-checking that. I've edited the wiki page now because, yes, I am a gigantic nerd. I also edit any page which references the Heartbreakers as, quote-unquote, Tom Petty's backing band. And in that case, that's sort of indignant nerdery. The song opens with three open harmonic guitar notes and is quickly followed by arguably the most 80s-sounding piece of music the Heartbreakers ever recorded. When you think of Heartbreakers synth songs, you're more likely to think of You Got Lucky or Don't Come Around Here No More, but this one, to me, really screams its decade very, very loudly. That opening synth lick always makes me think of something like the, the warehouse scene in Beverly Hills Cop, or maybe a chase scene in Lethal Weapon. It has that real sort of Miami Vice, Jan Hammer feel to it. And linking things back to Boys of Summer, it has a very similar repeated pattern which plays under the three-chord progression. So the chords change and that F-sharp suspended arpeggio adds in some suspension to the notes in all of those chords. We also get some pretty reverb-heavy drums from Stan Lynch rolling around the toms. You then get twin guitar fill parts with some very cool and identifiably Mike Campbell licks, and I assume it's Tom adding in the softer notes in the left channel. And so when you listen to that, those softer notes in that left channel, to achieve that effect, the guitarists, what they do is they'll turn the volume knob all the way down and then turn it up as they play the note. And this way you don't get the attack from actually striking the string, the end effect being called violining or volume knob swells, for obvious reasons. After eight bars, there's a great fake intro drum fill from Stan as he comes in on the snare to signal what you'd think is going to be the start of the, the main song. But he drops instead back into those tom fills with the sort of very echoey, um, a very echoey sound to them. 
I would say, though, it's a very thin snare sound. And while it definitely isn't an electronic drum, it's almost as if they wanted to emulate that sort of more, yeah, that more electronic snare sound. And the bass through this section is mixed incredibly low, almost to the point of being inaudible. So again, the whole thing has a very moody, pensive aura to it. There's another big drum fill for almost a full bar leading into that first verse where Tom comes in on the second beat. And once this first verse is in full swing, the snare sounds a little fuller and a little bit less electronic. So it could just be the way Stan was hitting the drum head a little lighter or the amount of reverb that was added that was softening that up. The chord progression in the verse is the same as the intro and the bass is again quite soft and sort of lacks punch. And this would be deliberate, but I find that like jamming me, it sort of washes out the lower frequencies a little and it makes it you know, sort of slightly stodgy. The pre-chorus is a lovely change to a B chord with a nice, bright, full chord played in both channels on, on both guitars. Um, they're both playing the, the same chord, but they're playing them slightly differently. There's a neat little structural trick here too that Tom pulls. In the verse, he sings in the first and second bars with the third and fourth left open. In this pre-chorus, he shifts this to the second and third bars of each four with the first and fourth left open. It adds a completely different dynamic to this section without doing a bunch of heavy dynamic lifting. And not to keep harping on the 80s movie theme here, but this part really reminds me of those sort of John Hughes movies like The Breakfast Club or Pretty in Pink. Those bigger open chords over that steady rhythm lift us out of that foreboding place and offer a glimmer of hope, which is realised as the chorus comes in. Again, Tom switches up the bars he's singing on with the second and fourth bars being mainly used in the chorus. His vocal in this section is quite restrained and melancholy, similar to his delivery in, let's say, Learning to Fly from 1991's Into the Great Wide Open. The drums feel a little bigger in this section too, and there's an addition of some more synth, or there might even be a little bit of organ in there. On the one count of the first bar of each eight, there's also a, it's, I'm pretty sure it's like a big bass synth note that's added, it's that, it kind of gives it that ring. But again, it's mixed so low that it's not dominant, but it, it, it does still signal sort of a big change into that section. It's a two-part chorus with the final line in each part being the title refrain. And we'll get into the lyrics at the end of the song, but I would say right now, that I think the lyrics actually lift this song, especially in the chorus. You know, the chorus is one of those really evocative pieces of writing that Tom was so adept at that has, you know, an air of mystery and ambiguity to it, like Straight Into Darkness or Time To Move On. The first chorus leads us back into the second verse with no fanfare and no, you know, two or four bar interlude that the Heartbreakers would uh, quite often use. And with the way the drums are mixed and that repetitive keyboard progression, there's a very sort of metronomic industrial feel to the whole thing. It's not quite the same as You Got Lucky, but it's still got that sense of being quite, I don't know, mechanical might be the word. Um, the second verse is basically the same as the first, but we do get some fantastic little Mike Campbell licks. Um, they're panned hard, hard right. And if you listen from about 203 to 208, just, just listen to that gorgeous tone. I sometimes think that if I had to pick just one word to describe Mike Campbell, it would be tasteful. Everything he does just fits like the cornerstone of a building or the last piece in a jigsaw. And it's no exception here. We go again into the pre-chorus, and I do love how Tom drops into that lower register. It adds more to the dynamic change in the chorus. And again, we get those glorious guitar arpeggios suspended over the root notes, and Tom crooning us through those fabulous chorus lyrics. Okay, folks, it's time once again for some Petty Trivia. Your question from last week was this. How many Tom Petty solo and Heartbreaker studio albums contain exactly 15 tracks? Is it A, 0, B, 4, 
C, one, or D, three? Well, the answer is four. The studio release of Wildflowers was pared down from its double album concept to 15 songs over four sides of vinyl. The following two albums, Songs and Music from She's the One and Echo, also have 15 tracks, meaning Rick Rubin hit 15 on all three albums he produced with Tom and the Heartbreakers. The last album to contain 15 tracks is also the longest album in the Heartbreakers catalogue, Mojo, which clocks in at 65 minutes and 9 seconds. Your question for this week is this. When the Heartbreakers took to the road with Bob Dylan on the True Confessions tour, which country did they open the first leg in on February 5th, 1986? Was it A, Japan, B, Germany, C, New Zealand, or D, Canada? Okay, back to the song. The middle eight takes us into yet another karate kid, Rocky Four montage type, airy, pulled back, synth laden section, with Stan's drums and lots of percussion adding the accents. We get Tom vocalizing, Run Away, Don't Blame Me Girl, uh, and Mike and Tom adding in little guitar licks, and there's an especially bright, different guitar tone that comes in the left channel in the second half of this bridge section. The section's actually 24 bars, and in the last eight, we get another tasty, very sparse guitar solo from Mike Campbell. And again, it's reminiscent of his work in Boys of Summer. This section leads back into the pre-chorus with its, there's a very slight half-measure hitch step fill into that chorus. Uh, and this is the, obviously, this is the last time we go through the chorus with Tom singing the lines just through once and then the song fading out over that chord progression. The lyrics in this song took me a little while to appreciate for, for whatever reason, I, I couldn't explain it to you. Maybe it's just because I don't listen to Let Me Up I've Had Enough very often and I, and I should spend a bit more time with it. Maybe I spent too long being a little put off by the synth-heavy arrangement or something, but I think I overlooked them for quite a while. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying to you. It has a very weary feel as, you know, as early as the opening line. She's up there all alone. I'm down here changing lanes. So straight away you feel that this is about two people who have seen a distance develop between them in their relationship. And the pre-chorus confirms this with Tom hoping that his lover will set him free. I'm counting on you, babe, to get you out of my mind. Again, Tom could have easily inverted that and made it a much more masculine point of view but he pretty much avoided that during his entire career. And as I said earlier in the episode, um, it's the chorus that carries this entire song for me. I guess it's one of those things you can never explain, like when an angel cries, like runaway trains. Just a great lyric, I think. You know, and it's got that harsh juxtaposition between those two images. You have this very ethereal idea of broken heavenly perfection, coupled with a very earthly horror of an out-of-control locomotive. Like one of those times that's never the same, isn't quite as strong, but it leads into like when something dies, like runaway train. So there's an aching poignancy in how those lines are coupled with that major key resolution in the chord progression. Nothing technically mind-blowing, but as always with Tom, just very carefully and tastefully done. The one thing I think this track is really missing that could have kicked it into, uh, just kicked it up another notch, is how we Epstein harmony part in that chorus. I think that would have sounded fabulous, and I'm really curious why that wasn't added. There's a fantastic live bootleg version of this track, and I'll post a link to that um, in the episode notes. I'll throw it up on YouTube, and I'll, I won't publish it, publish it, but I'll throw it up on YouTube so you can listen to it. Um, in the intro, Tom introduces Ben Mont by saying, y'all give a big hand to Ben Montench over here playing piano. He's a wild man, but we love him. And I just, I love this arrangement so much more than studio recording. So they add in a great crunchy little guitar lick to rock things up a bit. And, you know, having Ben Mont open the song on the piano and Stan ease back on the drums to take away all those sort of big 80s Tom fills, Gives the song even more atmosphere for me. 
There's more searing guitar in this version too, and Tom puts more edge on his vocal delivery in places. We also get some big piano chords leading into the outro that again just give the song much more impact than the synth ever offers. We also have another great guitar part leading out, and it's a shame that there isn't an official live version of this one kicking around anywhere, because it's one of those songs that's far superior to the album version for me. It's great that this live bootleg copy exists though, as the track was only played live 18 times, according to setlist.fm at least, uh, all between the end of May and the end of July in 1987. Okay, Pettyheads, that's all for this week. Um, this is a really simple song, um, and this album has simplicity and economy as a motif throughout. And for me, it doesn't always work. But for this song, I think that sort of metronomic quality of it fits, and the simple arrangement is fine because it's bolstered by a strong lyric. And I'll be honest with you, it's a song that I didn't listen to all that much before starting with my sort of listen-throughs and research for this season, but it's really grown on me. I was actually ready to be quite dismissive of the track, and I do think that, like Jamming Me, it's hampered a bit by production. I don't love that synth-heavy 80s action movie feel of it, but the song itself is great otherwise, and the live version is really, really solid. You know, go listen to Mike C. Shred, some sexy blues guitar in that one. Um, my preconception before digging into the song, and especially before listening to that live version, was that this one was a bit of a flop that is rescued slightly by a pretty great chorus lyric. But I think with an arrangement closer to the live version and better production, where you could hear Howie's bass more clearly, and maybe a Howie harmony, I think this could have been an absolute knockout. So I'm going to give Runaway Trains an 8 out of 10. Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways. And as always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes. Uh, the Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check them out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. There's tons of stuff there and I'm sure you'll find something you like. Uh, honestly, they really are great people doing fantastic work and adding new members all the time. Also on the Deep Dive Podnet, where you can check out my other podcast uh, that I do with my very, very good friend, Randy Woods, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube at Tom Petty Project. So go follow, like, subscribe, and do all those kinds of things. And again, please leave a review or a rating. Um, those have been trickling in, and it's, like I said, it's very, very nice, and apparently, apparently it helps the algorithms. I think that means that some more people might find my podcast, so go do that for me if you can, folks. The Tom Petty Project, as a reminder, is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel, or go to any of the official streaming platforms like Spotify and Amazon and Apple and all those places. You know you know where to go, folks. If you're looking for official merchandise, go to TomPetty.com. Um, I do have merchandise at store.tompettyproject.com. Um, so you can go check those out. There's no Tom Petty's name isn't anywhere on the things. And they're all sort of deep dive, quirky little things into uh, Tom Petty lore and lyrics and those kinds of things. So go check those out as well. Um, don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. They're great fan communities and they're well worth hanging out in now and again. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the third track from side one of Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, The Damage You've Done. Bye-bye. <laughs>